Well, let's take our Bibles once again. Turn over to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We're continuing in our study there. Chapter 3, verse 8. Over the last few weeks, we've been speaking out of these, this passage, and we trust uh, to, into the, to this week as well, and it will be a blessing and a help to you. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, we're going to read, well, I do this every time, I think I'll scratch out the 8, put a 7 down. There we go, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Let's start there. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus." As we mentioned already, the Apostle Paul is a tremendous figure in the Word of God and probably one of the greatest Christians to ever walk the face of the earth. And we're certainly glad that we have his testimony and we have this account or record in the Word of God of him. But he wasn't always that person, was he? As we also noted, he was really the enemy of Christ. He combated the people of God. He even went and accosted them and bound them and would drag them to prison. And in some cases, I'm sure, was very, if not the reason why they died, was very important in seeing them come to their demise. Again, he was responsible for a number of atrocities against the people of God. And yet, this was the very man that on the road to Damascus met the Lord Jesus Christ. And once he met Jesus Christ, everything changed in his life. Everything changed became new. Paul the Apostle counted all things now lost in order to obtain the Lord Jesus Christ. Not that he needed to be saved every day. He had already come to a saving knowledge of Christ. But he wanted to please the Lord Jesus with his being, his all. With every fiber of his being, he wanted to honor Christ. And we've noted, and we'll just take just a moment very quickly, and I Hope you don't become too bored with it, but at one point, the Apostle Paul said, my credits are my background, my character, and my religion. And he said the debit, or the thing that's on the other side of the ledger, is Christ. He had that ledger, and it weighed heavy in his favor of background, character, and religion. But then once he met the Lord Jesus Christ on that road, all of a sudden everything changed, and now Christ is the credit in his life. And he counts as a debit all those things that at one point he counted so dear and near to his heart. Now his background, his character and religion are those things that he must do away with. 
die to self from. He now looks to Christ, and the Lord Jesus himself is his credit, and to his credit. So Paul is no longer trusting in his own righteousness. He's no longer trusting in his own background, religion, or upbringing. He's now depending solely and completely on the Lord Jesus Christ, not only to save his soul, but to give him victory in the Christian life. To ultimately lead him to a life that is Christ-like. And again, his desire was to finish a race, fulfill his purpose in life. And we see the apostle making that, those steps, trying to achieve those goals. We noted that his discernment, we said that the Apostle Paul, he said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. And again, we just said that he exhibited a very profound attitude of humility. That although he may have been the busiest man in the ministry, although at that time he may have won more souls to Christ and started more churches than anyone else and even wrote a large portion of the New Testament, we said that when it was all said and done, the Apostle Paul recognized this simple reality that he was nothing more than a sinner saved by grace. He says in 1 Timothy 1.15, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, he says. We also noted Paul's determination. He said, This one thing I do... See, Paul wasn't a, didn't live a divided life, did he? Paul, Paul said, this one thing I do. I mean, he, he opened his mouth wide and he asked God to give him great things in the Lord. He wanted to magnify Christ above all else in his life. He made Jesus Christ his goal. And he sought after Him with all his heart. In order to effectively go forward, however, for the Lord, the apostle also recognized the importance of forgetting those things which were behind this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. And last week we talked about that weight of the past that we can carry around with us. And we said how that weight can slow us up as we pursue the goal, as we seek Christ, as we long for the prize that the Lord has for us. We said that the sin of the past may be failures, the sin of injustices and successes and self-righteousness, and even the, 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 the past of upbringing even, our past upbringing, all of those things can hinder and hamper our ability to move forward for the Lord Jesus Christ. Simply a weight that weighs us down. We also said that those, that past can tie us down, keep us from achieving once again the goals that God wants for us. And as much as we may try and as much as we may strive to obtain that prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, we're always held back by our past if we do not forget those things which are behind. Now we move ahead. We begin with our study. And we want today to consider Paul's direction. We noted his discernment and his determination, but let's begin by noting his direction today. 
And then we'll go forward with our message. Father, bless us and help us. We're grateful people today. May we truly honor you with our life and our lips. Father, today is a great day. It's a great day because we have life, another opportunity to honor you, to please you. Father, may we truly thank you for just the wonderful life you've given us. As difficult as it may be, as trial-filled as it is at times, Lord, we still thank you that we have another opportunity to magnify and glorify you in and through it. Help us, Lord, to seek your favor. Lord, we know we have it in Christ. Lord, may we live our life in a way, too, that will continue to keep our relationship, or should I say our fellowship, sweet. Lord, we'll thank you now and help us to learn from this simple truth, from glean from these simple pages, and, Father, grow thereby. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. We think about Paul's direction. Yeah, we noted his discernment and his determination, but the Bible goes on to say, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Of course, on our walls, we have that as our theme for the year, reaching forth unto those things which are before. Reaching forth. The Apostle Paul had made up his mind that is when he, he's going to forget those things which are behind so that he can focus his attention on those things which are before. Reaching forth, he says. Again, he goes from looking back to reaching forth. He had been very big and he had made a, a lot out of his past, his credentials, if you will. As we said, his education and his upbringing and his character. But that's not where he focuses his attention now. He focuses his on Christ. He doesn't look back anymore to somehow try to justify or try to somehow convince himself that he's godly or good. Now he looks to Jesus Christ and he says to himself, I need to fulfill the purpose that you have called me out of this sin-sick world for. I need to do something that you now have in store for me. Instead of what I want to do, I want to fulfill your purpose and your will for my life. And so now he reaches forth instead of looking back. When I first arrived at Army Boot Camp, we were placed in some very large barracks. And right away you receive your clothing issue and you start to get some things in order as far as the military is concerned. You don't really accomplish a lot. But sometimes it may be just a few days, other times it may be a few weeks. And then sooner or later, you're placed into your unit. Once you're placed into your unit, you begin to really learn how to become a soldier. You're really not a soldier until you get through boot camp. You know, they, you, you say, I'm in the army, and they say, no, you're not. You're still, you know, you're still learning. You're still, you've got to pass the test, so to speak. You've got to get through this first. And they try to intimidate you and they try to keep you from getting through because they know that if you're going to go fight a war, you better be some kind of tough. And so once I arrived at my unit, I finally began to learn some things. And one of the first things they taught us when we arrived at our unit was facing movements. They make you stand at attention. They teach you all those things. You know, chest out, stomach in. Some of the guys had a hard time with that. They just stomachs naturally came out. Of course, I didn't. And so I stood at attention. And they started saying things like, right face, left face. And they teach you how to do all that stuff, you know. And you turn left, you turn right. And you do all those things. 
And it wasn't so bad, but when you get about 60 guys around you, some in front, some behind, on the right, on the left, and your sergeant's going crazy, going, right face, left face, right face, left face, right face, right face, right. And you're just going, and I remember one time he was in a kind of a fit of rage. He wasn't real happy with us girls. And I mean to tell you, he was just a little bit frustrated, if you know what I mean. And he was not doing well. And some of the guys had made big mistakes. And and uh, uh, I know I was doing my best to do it right. But I remember one time he made a left face and I went right. And everybody else went left. And there I stood. And he was like, oh, no, no. Man, I had to go to him. Man, he called me out. Man, I ran up. He said, obviously somebody has a problem. They don't know their military right and their military left. Yes, pardon. He picks up this big boulder. It had to be a whole hand size. You got to understand when you get issued military clothing, it usually doesn't fit too good anyway. So it's real loose. I was glad at that point. Because he made me take that rock and stick it in my left pocket. And there I had that big rock sticking there. He said, maybe that will help you the next time I tell you to turn to your military left. I had to keep that rock in my pocket for two days. I had to sleep with that rock. But I never forgot my military left. (laughs) Very effective means by which to teach and train. And then it came time to learn another facing movement. About face! You guessed it. I mean to tell you, it's a 180 degree turn. And it's not easy to get that thing down. I mean, it may look easy. But when you got your feet together and you're like, and your feet are supposed to be exactly the exact same way they were when you started... Man, that's tough. And what happens is basically, as you well know, you're facing one direction and you're in an about face, and now you're facing a totally different and new direction. Can I tell you that the Apostle Paul understood that principle? The Apostle Paul knew all about about faces. Where once he looked to the past, he now reached forth to the future. His focus was no longer backward, but now forward. He was now looking upward and not just outward. On January the 1st, 1929, the Golden Bears faced the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. Midway through the second quarter, a fellow by the name of Regals played center. He picked up a fumble. While he was on defense, nose tackle at the time, he picks up a fumble. No, he was playing center, excuse me. While he was playing center, he picked up this fumble. And at the moment he picked up the, 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 the uh, fumble, he somehow got twisted and turned around. And he started running 69 yards the wrong direction.
His teammate, quarterback Benny Lom, he chased Regals down. He was screaming at him at the top of his lungs to stop, but he couldn't hear him. He was known for his speed, so he tracked him down. He, he caught him finally, but by the time he caught him, the other players from the other team dove on him, and there at the three-yard line they sat. Thirty-five years later, Minnesota Vikings defensive end Jim Marshall was involved in what is considered by many to be one of the most embarrassing moments in professional sports history. October the 25th, 1964, in a game against the San Francisco 49ers, Marshall recovered a fumble, and he was playing for the Vikings at the time. And he got hit while he was picking up a fumble, spun around, ran all the way 66 yards into the end zone, spiked the ball, thinking that he had scored a touchdown for his team. It went out of the end zone and was a safety. Gave two points to the opposite team and the ball. Marshall received a letter later. You guessed it. By Roy Roy Regals. (laughs) It said... Welcome to the club. <laughs> you imagine that? I mean, that's not the letter I'd have wanted to have gotten. It's not the one I would have wanted to receive at that time. But you know, as believers, we need to be very careful to be pointing in the right direction if we ever want to arrive at the desired destination. I mean, there's no way in the world these football players would have ever dreamed about... Scoring for the opposite team. And yet they got twisted around. Somehow they were facing the wrong direction. And as a result, they made their way to the other end zone. As believers, we need to be very careful that we don't get spun around. We need to be very aware of where we're at on the field at all times, and we need to make sure that we're pointing the right direction in the Christian life. In the book of Hebrews, this topic is considered and dealt with in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Again, note again that we are to run with patience the race that is set before us. If Mr. Marshall could run the opposite direction into the enemy's end zone as a professional football player, i got to believe that as born-again believers, if we're not careful, we can end up facing the wrong direction in our Christian life and score a touchdown on behalf of the other team. We need to make sure that we're looking unto Jesus because the moment we lose sight of Him, We could easily be pointing the wrong direction and never even know it. 
1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, the Apostle once again paints that same picture in our mind of a race. When he says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. Paul's basically saying, instead of directing my attention backward, I'm now going to focus forward. I'm going to reach forth unto those things which are before. Not look back on those things which are behind, but I'm going to reach forth unto those things which are before. Boy, the direction that we're leaning and the direction we're going is so important. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7 through 10, we read of a young man who was leaning the wrong way. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. You thought our services are long. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together, and there sat in the window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. He was leaning the wrong way. The Bible says, And Paul went down and fell on him and embraced him, embracing him, said, Trouble not yourselves for this life. His life is in him. I'm glad it all turned out well. But let me say this, sometimes it doesn't turn out that well. Eutychus was leaning the wrong direction. He was more out than he was in. The result was that he fell to his death. See, leaning toward the world will be the death of many believers. Maybe not physical death, although that's a possibility but for sure spiritual suicide. Oh, we may still be secured in our heavenly home, and certainly the Lord Jesus Christ is a keeper of promises. Boy, I'll tell you one thing. As a believer, when we get going the wrong direction, we don't accomplish what God intended. And when we don't accomplish what God intended for us, we don't receive the blessings that He wants for us either. Well, we're going to ruin the plan of God. We're going to set it aside and we're going to pursue our own interests and our own goals and our own aspirations. And somehow we feel that what we want to accomplish is maybe a little bit more important than what God wants in us and through us. And sometimes we do it unwittingly. We don't even realize it. We somehow convince ourselves that making material gain is certainly of the Lord that He would want us to support the church financially, so we've got to get a better job and work more hours. And even though it disregard God and His Word and disregard God's house, well, I'm doing it. I'm still tithing. Wait a second. God doesn't need your money. I mean, obviously, He uses it and blesses you as a result of your giving, but I'm going to tell you something. Your giving is not what holds up God's plan. It's you not giving yourself that holds up the plan. God wants you. And if He has you, He has everything else. 
And the problem is, is that many times we go on a journey our own direction, follow our own pursuits, follow our own counsels even. We're going the wrong direction the whole time. Paul says, I'm not looking back anymore. I'm not going to get sidetracked by the glint and the glitter of this world. I'm not going to buy into the philosophies of humanism or materialism or any other ism there is. I'm going to buy into Jesus Christ. I'm going to just reach forth unto those things which are before. I'm going forward for the Master. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, the Bible says, Trusting Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Let's say that one again because we can quote it probably, but we don't live it too often. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. We've noted again the Apostle's discernment, his determination and his direction, but let's now consider his destination. Again, the Apostle Paul's destination is very simple. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not looking back, but I'm reaching forth. What are you reaching for, Paul? The mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Again, the, the prize isn't salvation. It, it, it's not salvation. It's, salvation is a gift. That's not something you strive for. You simply receive and accept it. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you had to earn your way to heaven, if you had to somehow buy into heaven, then it would no longer be a gift. And yet the Bible describes eternal life as a gift, the gift of God. Prize, however, something that you have to earn or win. And Paul's destination or his prize in this particular passage is the resurrected life and the reward that will come one day when he stands before Jesus Christ. I mean, he wants to hear the Lord say, Well done, thou good and faithful service servant. He wants the Lord to be able to bless him with the rewards that are listed in the Word of God so that when he does stand before Christ, when he does give that account, after he's received those wonderful crowns, he can cast them at the feet of Jesus and say, if it were not for the grace of God, where would I be? The Apostle Paul wants the resurrected life today. You know, the one that... We're promised tomorrow. The one that one day when we're raptured out of this world, when the Lord Jesus returns for us, that life, the one in which we receive a new body, no longer bound by this flesh, free to serve God without being burdened down by the old man and the nature that we were born with. Paul says, I want to eradicate this flesh. I want to have victory over this flesh. I don't want it to rule me. I want the Spirit of God to rule me. I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I want the victory life. The believer is saved from sin, no doubt. 
We call this justification. Justification is the doctrine that God pardons, accepts, and declares a sinner to be just on the basis of Christ's righteousness alone. When I say just, I'm talking about just as if I never sinned. He justifies me. Makes me as though I never sinned based on the righteousness of Christ. Justification. In Romans 3, 24-26, he says, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that we might be just and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. Turn, if you would, to Romans 5, please. Romans chapter 5, verse 14. While you're turning there, let me quote 425, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Romans chapter 5, verse 14. Notice there in the passage, begin reading verse 14, it says, Nevertheless, Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of many, excuse me, through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, who abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all Men to condemnation. Who's that one? Adam. When Adam sinned, all mankind became condemned. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. That's Jesus Christ. Because of His righteousness, we are justified. For as by one man's disobedience, verse 19, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Amen. The believer is certainly saved from their sin. We are justified by the righteousness and the work of Jesus Christ. It is not something that you and I have to do. It's something that He does for us. The salvation experience is one that provides peace with God. I mean, we're first and foremost the enemies of Christ before we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. One would say, well, no, I wasn't the enemy of Jesus before I got saved. Well, the Bible says different. The Bible goes on to say in Romans 5, 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we were at enmity with the Lord. 
Because He was righteous and just and He was holy. We were not. We were sinners and rightly condemned to death. We opposed Him. And then He saved us. And we're justified. Just as if we never sinned. And it brought peace between us and God who's holy. And now I can enter boldly into the throne of grace. Now I can go on behalf of others and I can beg God to meet my need and I can certainly enjoy the presence and the fellowship of Jesus Christ justified. The salvation experience changes a person on the inside. In Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 4, the Bible says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. All of a sudden, now that I'm saved, I'm no longer walking after the flesh. The flesh isn't my greatest desire to feed it, to fulfill it. Now I have a new man, a new nature, if you will. I have Christ living in me, and so do you if you're saved. There's a desire to appease God, to please the Lord. Not to just fulfill this flesh. And although the flesh may try to bind us and chain us, we have the ability and the strength and the power in the Holy Spirit to be victorious over the flesh. The desires of a believer are internally and inherently changed. When you become a child of God. Second Corinthians 5.17 The Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Being saved from sin and justified just as if I never sinned. A man, a woman in Christ, child of God, is now exhorted to abstain from sin and be set apart unto God for His good pleasure. The goal of Christ in dying on the cross was not just so you could escape hell. You may think that's what it was. And the way we live our Christian lives in many cases seems to imply that that's what we believe. That's not in, at all what God just saved you for. He saved you for fellowship. He didn't just save you out of sin and from sin's consequences so that you could be free to go to heaven. He saved you so that He could have a relationship with you. So that he, you could fellowship with Him. So that you could experience His grace and goodness every day of your life. Colossians chapter 3. Turn there if you would please. Colossians chapter 3. In chapter 3 verse 8, we'll begin reading there. Chapter 3 verse 8, Colossians. It simply says, 
But now, he also put off all these. But now ye also put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity which is the bond of perfectness. Therefore, according to the passage, right off the bat, we're exhorted to put off some things. And then we're told to put on some things. And this process is referred to as sanctification. Justification. The Lord Jesus Christ as a result of His righteousness, saves us, forgives us, and it's just as if we never sinned. But sanctification is the process of being set apart for God's work and being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And by the way, this conforming to Christ involves the work of a person. You. Sadly enough, in the Christian faith, it seems to me, we're very quick to want God to change us. But last I checked, you're already a new creature. Last I checked, I'm already a new creature. The change has already been made. Now the question is, will I adorn myself in that change? Will I wear it every day? Will I put off some things and put on some things? By the way, when I put on some things, as you see here, I've got a lovely green shirt on. Got a pen in my pocket. I've got a a sound device here on my belt. But you know what? When I put this on, it covers it. You say, I see that green. Whatever. (laughs) You know where I'm getting at. When I put something on, you see what's on. The Lord admonishes us to take some things off that don't belong. We read the list there in Colossians. But then he turns around and says, now you put some things on. Justification has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with God. You're just the benefactor of justification. But when it comes to sanctification, that work will never be done in your life without you. Because sanctification is a process. It's a constant yielding to God, His Word, and His precepts. Giving yourself wholly, completely to Him. 
dying to self, seeking to eradicate the flesh, to crucify it daily. Because, see, sanctification emphasizes two fronts. One, separation from sin. And then secondly, separation unto God. In 2 Corinthians 6.17, the Bible says, Wherefore, come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in it. It's sad to say, but the reality is, is that the lines of separation between the believer and unbeliever have been seriously blurred over the last 50 years. Things that would have been considered repulsive and completely unacceptable among believers 50 years ago are generally accepted in the home and even in the church house today. We call it progress, don't we? We call it culture. God calls it sin still. See, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He says not to even touch the unclean thing. Come out from among them and be separate. That, that involves a number of things. Separate in your attitude, your outlook, your loves, and your hates. Do you know you ought to hate sin? The believer ought to hate some things. Not people, but things. Things that destroy people, like the devil. You think you ought to love the devil? I hate what the devil's doing. I hate what he does to your life and mine. I hate what he does to your family and my family. I hate what he does to those poor kids out there on the streets. I hate what he's doing through the internet. I hate what he's doing through Facebook and all these social networks. I hate what he does in the lives of even the people in our church on those things. Out of one, and one statement comes a flowing river, sweet water, and then just a few lines down, bitter. Don't think for a minute our heart is not revealed in those places. Sadly enough, God wants us to be separate, though. I've told this story a number of times, but I, I hate going to ball games anymore. Because I've got to sit at a ball game and some person wants me to pass a beer down. I'm not to touch the unclean thing. I don't want my kids seeing me touching it. And with my luck, I'd be on TV about the time I did. <laughs> Nationwide television. Pastor. Frozen in time. But, but, but I didn't drink it. I was just passing it. Right. There's reasons why God doesn't want us to get involved or in, touch those things. A number of reasons. But we're to be separated from the things of this world. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. He's saying that word conversation is not just your speech, it's your lifestyle. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. 
He says, now that you're my property, now that I'm in you, now that you're part of me, you need to be like me. The Apostle Paul, he changed his direction when he came to Christ. He went from looking back to reaching forth. And his destination changed. His goals changed. His longings changed. His desires changed. And every day of his life, he did his best to be in a position to be used of God. See, being separated has, isn't just about separation from sin, but it's about being separated unto God. In Numbers chapter 7, verse 1, and we are almost done, be patient please. And it came to pass on the day that Moses had fully set up the tabernacle and had anointed it and sanctified it and all the instruments thereof, both the altar and all the vessels thereof, and had anointed them and sanctified them. What's he saying? He's saying when that tabernacle was completed in the wilderness, he took all of those vessels and he took all the instruments that would be used in the worship of that temple and to, to the tabernacle to reach out to God and to honor God and to please God. And he, he sprinkled them and He anointed them and He sanctified them. What's it saying? He separated them unto a holy use. He said, I'm not going to use this fork, this spoon, this knife to cut into meat offered idols. I'm going to use it for God's service. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, excuse me, 19 through 21, I'm going to ask you to turn to that last verses for me, please. 2 Timothy 2, 19 through 21. The fact was is that those instruments were not permitted to come into contact with anything unclean or they became unclean. And even as those instruments were set apart into a holy use, you and I are instruments in the hand of God. We're to be separated unto a holy use. 2 Timothy 2, 19-21, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having the seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His. Aren't you glad? And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from what? Iniquity. See, can you look at me for just a second? It's not old-fashioned to separate from sin. It's biblical. And the Bible is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the Jesus that we that died for us and saved us is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm glad that God knows me. I'm glad. But He also, that same God that says He knows those that are His, tells me that if I name His name, if I'm His child, if I've been saved, depart from iniquity. 
Continuing, he says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Here it is now. If a man therefore purge himself from these, and if you would read before this, you would find out what he means. He's talking about sinful deeds and things. If a man, therefore, purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the Master's use, and prepared unto every good work. That's why I don't go to bars. That's why I don't drink alcohol. That's why I don't partake certain type of language and participate in certain types of activities. That's why I dress a certain way and live a certain way and act a certain way. Not because it gets me to heaven. Not because it makes me simply closer to God and I'm better than everybody else. It has nothing to do with that. Justification has nothing to do with me. But I don't want to be sidelined. I don't want to become defiled. I don't want to be placed on a back shelf somewhere, unusable in the Master's hand, simply because I can't control my lust, my desires, and my longings. The truth is, is that we all are human. And that flesh is weak. And those desires are strong. And it's a battle to overcome in our life. And we must war with it. Paul himself says, I'm not looking back. I'm going to reach forth. I want to obtain the prize. I want to hear well done. I want to receive those crowns and then cast them at the feet of Jesus. But in order to do that, I need to be a vessel unto honor. There's some things I can't participate in. Some things I can't think about. There's just some things i got to separate myself from so that I can be separated unto Him. And today as believers, I want to encourage you to reach forth. Don't allow Satan to deceive you into believing that you can't overcome sin in your life. That you have to be that same person bound by vice. God help us to understand that the Christian life is a holy life. It's a life to be lived in victory over the flesh. Not bound by it. And we're not to be overwhelmed by the cares of this world. But we're to be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. God help us today to die to self, to crucify the flesh, and to allow Christ to reign supreme on the throne of our life. And to live a holy life so that we can be vessels of honor that He then can use in His hand as tools to reach a lost world for Him. Father, we come to You.